to me that's really interesting because it starts to draw the line between that old model and this model of providing services that moves a little bit faster so much of the theme of this podcast is that open source makes things move faster Welcome to The Open Source Economist, a podcast about the new economy of free software powering our lives. Brought to you by Christy Chirinos, product manager and entrepreneur. So, Joe, I'm so excited to have you. One of my colleagues and dear, dear friends and really just an amazing all-around person. We even live in the same city for a little while, which is often rare with our um, WordPress and open source community friendships and connections. But um, I'm really excited to have you here. And I just think you are the perfect person to speak with about the business model of productized services. Howdy, my name is Joe Howard. I run a company called WP Buffs. We offer website management subscriptions to small businesses, entrepreneurs, startups, uh, folks who want to run their business but not have to worry about uh, speeding up securing their website. How do I edit this page? How do I uh, do these updates without crashing the site? How do I monitor it 24-7? Like all, all, the, all that goes into ongoing management, we handle for them. Um, and we also run a white label program. So we work with some agencies and freelancers, uh, some WordPress professionals so that they can, in essence, resell our subscriptions uh, and offer 24 seven support to their client base without hiring a global team and managing a global team uh, and systemizing ongoing support for folks and all that goes into that. So uh, yeah, that's WP Buffs uh, and WP MRR is kind of like a, it's like kind of a side gig to that, I guess. It's kind of under the buffs umbrella, but uh, WP MRR is just WordPress monthly recurring revenue. Uh, and we're hosting our second annual uh, uh, summit, virtual summit this fall. I thought Joe would be the perfect person to give us a firsthand account of what it's like to run a productized services business. For our second part on the series about the business models of open source, I wanted to go over the productized service. I have found that increasingly more and more entrepreneurs are going after this business model. In a single sentence, productized services take what used to be consulting and make it something that a customer can order. WP Buffs offers these website management subscriptions, and that's what I would consider a productized service. Uh, in essence, we're a services company. People pay us to offer a service to them. And that service is managing their website. We just frame that service as a, a plan or a package. So people can come onto our website and buy our perform plan for a monthly subscription. And they pay us every month to continue to do all of the website management they need. So it's a services company with a uh, business model or pricing structure that's much more uh, 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 SaaS leaning or software leaning, at least like modern software pricing subscription. Now I want to twist that ball and look at it from all sides. Who would you hire otherwise if you weren't hiring WP buffs? Is this the kind of thing that you would hire a firm for? We talk about this all the time, actually, because 
we don't consider ourselves the best fit for everybody to work with everybody. In fact, far from it. We, we kind of want to have a target audience who are like really they're what they're looking for is to invest in a long-term technical partner for their website or their clients' websites. Um, and it's not for someone who say, uh, just needs like an hour of work done on their website a month and their website, maybe it, it's not generating a ton of revenue yet, or it's not something that's central to what they're doing. Like for some people, the website is like, I am building a business on this, or I am trying to quit my full-time job to like work on this and monetize this site. And some people it's just like, I have this website and I like it. That is something that I've tried to get many of my open source colleagues to understand. Not everyone in this is doing this as a hardcore business. There's a lot of hobbyists and people like that have different needs. They're volunteering their time. There may be folks out there who, instead of investing in an ongoing technical partner, they, maybe they just need a freelancer to do a couple hours here and there. It's kind of like a CTO on speed dial. Almost, except we definitely wouldn't use that language because we don't offer phone support. So all of our support's done via email and via like logging into the help desk area, but we don't do phone support. So yes, you're right. You're totally right, except it's more like, uh, it's like CTO on uh, like demand. Like maybe I'd put it that way. With the specific of Joe's business in mind, let's define the productized service a little bit more broadly. A productized service is defined by a package that can be bought without an account manager. That means no assistance, for example, clicking buy on a website, and the package consists of strictly defined services. The service is then applied to the individual client in a matter that is repeatable for the company. That's what Josh's new employer does, and they do it very well. However, in a productized service model, the same open source software is leveraged to tailor the client to the service. I asked Joe to elaborate on what happens after that buy happens. Let me start right before onboarding because that kind of talks a little bit about the contract slash what people are signing up for. When someone signs up for um, one of our subscriptions, they go through the checkout process on the website. And before they can sign up, they have to check five different boxes. One of those boxes is our terms of service. And so that's the contract with which people engage with us on. So they've kind of signed that contract through the signup process. So I guess it's kind of automated. Um, the other four check boxes are, are there are biggest causes of churn. That's cancellations. When those expectations are not set correctly. So like someone has to check a box before they sign up that says, I understand that you don't provide phone support. You only provide email support and help desk support. They have to check that box before they're able to sign up. And our, we actually just, we just did that last month. So this month we'll measure how it turned it in the first month for new customers. And we'll kind of keep improving that. But our thought is people had to actually check that box. It'll improve that expectation setting. So Joe's onboarding process is pretty thorough. He asks more questions about what the customer's up to, and he leverages email, especially automated emails, pretty heavily. Onboarding happens a lot of it via email. So we send a sequence. I think it's an email. I can't remember exactly how many emails it is. I have to take a look at it, but it's, it's about, it's an email every day or every other day for like 10 days. So it's really just like keeping people updated about the progress that's going on, giving people tools to be able to like how to use Loom 
to like shoot a screen share for edits or take how to what free screen capture tool she used to send us stuff like how to better interact with our support team to get better support or faster service like that kind of stuff um if i were to rewind quickly to the first email the first email is like probably the most important because it's how we collect email or excuse me it's how we collect login credentials because people have to pass their login credentials to us so um we use this tool called quick forget uh quickforget.com it's actually an automatic product um and it's it's pretty much like a link that only we can open you put your login credentials into this, uh, you hide it through this uh, self-destructing link and you send it to our team and only our team can open it um, and view what's inside only a certain number of times. So like if you choose one, you, we can only open it and see it once and then it self-deletes. So um, yeah, we use that for login credentials. And um, so that's like how automated onboarding works. And then there's also some manual work that's done like at certain steps. So like once, um, like for example, once, we like have done some of the performance optimization. It's, you can't really automate that email because every website's different. So we actually have kind of like a canned message that our support team sends. It's like half canned, half fill in this area here with the improvements we made or the time loading times we found or the screenshot of how we did and what other things they could do if they wanted to pay for an upgraded host or an upgraded uh, CDN or additional things they could use to get even better if they wanted that option. So. Some of that is manual just at like certain times uh, and that's just set up through the systems we have in place. So it's like we have a checklist for performance optimization when it's done, we send the follow-up email. So that's in general how onboarding works. It's all really via email uh, and via like help desk. And uh, yeah, it's slightly complex, but it's systemized. So it doesn't, we don't have to send manual emails every time we onboard someone for the most part. To me, that's really interesting because it starts to draw the line between that old model and this model of providing services that moves a little bit faster. Once we had a grasp on exactly what a productized service is, I wanted to explore where it came from. I talked to Joe a little bit about this and I learned some things that I didn't really know. Productized services were born out of by-the-hour freelancers' desire for more scalable business models. I've met a lot of freelancers who are quite tired of exchanging time for money, essentially. And that might sound unusual because that is, after all, what most of us are doing. That was definitely true for Joe. I was doing digital marketing before. Um, I was kind of a freelancer. I was a like traditional starting off WordPress person. So I was building websites for folks and I didn't really know how to find new clients. I just kind of lucked into a few here and there. I worked with maybe some friends and family on like some, some web work uh, and did site builds, but I, I wasn't a developer. I, a lot of starting WordPress folks are just, they can set up a hosting provider and, you know, install the WordPress files and find some themes and install the theme and drag and drop slash HTML, CSS, their way to a cool looking website. Uh, and that was me, um, but definitely not a developer by trade. I did that for a while, kind of alongside a full-time job that I didn't like very much. And I'd always wanted to do more WordPress work. And honestly, at that time, I didn't, I didn't know much about, and I didn't know enough about the software space or like SaaS or plugin 
stuff in the WordPress space to, to start a plugin company or something like that. I just didn't, I wouldn't have known where to start. And I wouldn't have known enough technically to hire someone to build something good. And I think that there is some technical uh, uh, blockers. There are technical blockers to starting like a plugin company. I leaned more, I think, into productized service because productized service is a really nice way to move from like services and consulting into a pricing model that is software centric, which definitely works that monthly recurring revenue and that subscription pricing, but you don't have to have the technical knowledge to be able to start a like pure technology company or software company. Um, so that's why I think I got into the productized services space is because I, I could, you know, I was pretty good around consulting and, and services and I knew how to do that. Um, but I was looking for a business model that works better. It's like, once I built a website, it's like, well, I got to build another site, but subscription pricing now, you know, you're, you're making money month over month and you can compound that. Uh, and that worked a lot better in terms of like scaling a real business that I didn't have to, I didn't have to be working on every single piece of the business, every day for 60 hours a week uh, when I was doing subscription pricing. So it worked out a lot better that way. It's much more scalable. That's interesting. Get a little personal, get a little bit saucy. There's a lot of people out there who stick with the freelancer agency model and who strive to build up a little or a large agency. Why was that not the life for you? I didn't enjoy doing most of the work. When you're a freelancer, there are a lot of advantages to being a freelancer. And I think that if you want to be a freelancer who makes 150K a year and does all the work of being a freelancer, of finding the clients and doing all the work and, uh, you know, setting up your LLC and, and doing all the QuickBooks, go for it. Like, it's good to learn that stuff. I found that there were just a lot of areas in the business that, one, I either didn't want to do, two, I didn't like to do it, or three, I just wasn't good at it. I, I wanted to grow a company. And that was the decision from the beginning. Um, I wasn't thinking like, I'm going to freelance for a little bit, and then I'm going to draw, uh, 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 grow a company. As soon as WP Buffs was like this website subscription service, it was like, this is going to be a thing. It's going to, it's going to be a business. It's not going to be a few freelancers working together. I think it's going to be a, I'm going to try and scale this into not a fortune 500 company, but, uh, you know, maybe, uh, someday an Inc 5,000 company. That'd be cool. In the last episode, Josh Pollock mentions that his job today makes a lot more sense to people. He implements open source software for companies. A productized service entrepreneur is looking for something different. They're looking for something that can grow. And that approach begins to turn a common misconception on its head, which is that a business based on open source software can't be a high growth business. That's where this service company starts to really build a product. The productized service business model shares a key component with the commercial open source software model. You are not really paying for the product, you're paying for the staff's time. Now the difference is that the productized service doesn't create another open source product. Instead, it implements outside products at scale. I think it's really just the difference between 
an open source software company and open source services company. Because if you're an open source software company, like a, for example, like a plugin company, uh, you, you, you have a free plugin on the plugin repository and then you have a premium plugin you, you sell on your own website for people to get premium uh, features of that plugin or premium add-ons or however your business model works. The, you, you have to play by the rules per se of open source software, whatever open source software ecosystem you're in. So WordPress is, you know, GPL. So when you were working on Caldera stuff, you had to be uh, GPL, what's it, what's it called? GPL approved. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, WP buffs, we don't have a like technology within open source that we are directly selling. We are selling in essence, kind of what you said, you kind of said you're selling licensing and support. We're selling support, <laughs> maybe like without the licenses. So we don't have to necessarily worry about ourselves being GPL compliant, although we completely support it and are we're huge proponents of the WordPress community. And we think, you know, uh, there are tons of advantages to GPL licensing and, and we're, we're again, big proponents of it, but us ourselves, we kind of, help and support the plugins that we manage on other people's websites and the choices people make around WordPress continue to be GPL. The product I service by definition has to be embedded in the open source community in which it operates because that open source community is an absolute dependency. It's kind of like selling on Etsy. There's no way you're going to succeed if the platform does something differently. I asked Joe to tell me a little bit more about how he coexists with other companies in his space. Yeah, we work with actually a lot of hosting companies who are referral partners for us, as we are for them. We have this kind of symbiotic relationship of hosting companies, whether it's shared hosting or whether it's fully managed WordPress hosting or whether it's selling VPS hosting. Most hosting companies want to be a software company. They don't want to be a services company. I found, probably for good reason. There's a lot of advantages to running a software company, right? It's much more scalable in a lot of cases and it's much more profitable in a lot of cases. Of course, that being said, the barrier to entry I talked about is challenging to launch your own hosting company. It's hard, um, requires a lot of technical expertise. So the, but, to get back to what hosting companies want to do, they want to be a technical company. So of course they want to have great support. We work with a ton of hosting companies that provide great support, but it's mostly around hosting. That's not a bad thing. They help you with everything you need to have the best possible infrastructure you need for your website. But if you ask them to log in your WordPress site to make edits and changes, will they? No. Will they do some of the automatic updates for plugins and stuff? Yes, a lot of them will these days, fully managed, right? Um, will they do the security or performance optimization from the WordPress side of things? Probably not. They may help from their infrastructure standpoint, but not on the WordPress side of things. So that's actually where like we've partnered really well with, with a lot of hosting companies who use us as kind of their primary referral partner because they want to help people with uh, the hosting and do give people the best possible hosting they can. And then when it comes to actually the WordPress side of things, they'll hand that off to us to help manage the actual WordPress site. Now, 
that actually also helps the hosting company because it lowers their support load because a big, big hosting company, I mean, you've worked at big hosting companies, you probably know how many support tickets come in and what percentage of those support tickets are like not something that the company wants to help with or probably should help with. And so having honestly a one can message, right? Having one can message for all of your support that comes in is really good for them. So they work with us and refer business to us, which is great for us. And we do the same for them. We want to have, we want to manage fast websites and our clients want fast websites and they want to not have to worry if a host is going to go down or something. So we recommend our great hosting partners. And so we kind of have this like symbiotic relationship where like they throw us some business and we throw them some business. And it kind of leads to this idea, which I've had for a long time, which is kind of like part of why the white label program was born, which was like, I love how hosting companies do this fully managed WordPress hosting. But like my idea is like, what is, what's the next step of that's, well, it's like fully managed WordPress. Like it's just every, everything WordPress is kind of like managed, not just the hosting. And I like the idea of doing kind of like a white label WP Buffs WordPress support under a hosting company, because I think that provides a lot. And maybe you bring in a lot of other stuff into that too. Maybe you bring in some premium plugins to partner with and maybe some like premium marketing companies or design agencies. And like, you have to figure out how to do this all in one shop without becoming this big slow behemoth. But I think that there's space to be able to do that in if you're doing it in a thoughtful and methodical way. So uh, yeah, but anyway, that's kind of the difference between like hosting company, WP Buffs. Some people ask like, well, why would I use WP Buffs if I could just get support from a hosting company? Well, you can, but like, they're not gonna help you with everything, nor should they when it comes to WordPress. The space for productized services is definitely something to keep an eye on. As open source software becomes more ubiquitous, there's more and more opportunity in this type of business. That's especially true for someone who fits the profile of a person who would love running a productized service business. A productized service as a business model can often be preferred by business owners who don't have the desire to or the resources to create a product. It's totally possible to create a high-growth tech company without necessarily creating a software product. Now, as the last part of my conversation with my friend Joe, I thought I would do something fun and just ask him to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be him. What's one of the craziest things that's happened to you so far as the CEO of WP Buffs? When I started WP Buffs, it was right before I got married. It was like when I went full-time on WP Buffs, it was three months before I got married. Um, and I remember when I got started with WP Buffs, I thought, I don't really want to work 40 hours a week. I kind of want to work like 10 hours a week maybe a little bit more. And I want to be able to um, spend time with my family. I want to have a bigger family in the future. I, I want to be able to spend more time on that and not have my, not have my life revolve around my work, but have my work revolve around my life. That was my idea when I started WP Buffs. I like had that in mind. I was like, this is the direction I want to go in. And it, came to fruition like four years later. And the crazy, the craziness comes in when it, I actually kind of achieved that, which was like last year, I, you know, my wife and I had a son and I didn't work very many hours last year and it was great. But 
I found myself being like, well, I, I have time for family. I have time to work when I want to. Like, what do I, what do, I do now? And it, it's like kind of this, like it, I, I did the thing I, I was trying to do. And now I got to that place and I kind of still have questions. And it's kind of led to a challenging 2021 for me because I'm trying to, I'm at this place where I, I have a coach now. I'm really trying to reinvent myself in terms of my position. Like what does my position as the CEO of a company look like when we have 40 people on the team as opposed to, you know, 10 to 15 people. It's like a really different skill set. It's a different position. It's a different, there are different requirements of me. And so I think in terms of like, it's honestly not something I, I, it's probably something I should have thought more about in advance, which was like, well, what do I do when I get to that point? And how do I make sure that I'm putting the steps into place now so that when I reach that point, I can, you know, continue to make changes and pivot as I need to personally and professionally to make sure I'm like at a place that makes sense. So I think to me, that was like, I was trying to think before this, we recorded this, I was like, that is very top of mind for me right now in terms of reinventing myself. And it's a, it seems kind of crazy because it's like, you would think you just keep doing you know, what you're doing, just keep growing it, keep scaling it. It's like, well, everything changes at certain benchmarks. We don't really know when those, you don't really know when those milestones are coming and it came. And so it's, I'm definitely at that transition point right now. So things are a little crazy, a little up in the air for me right now, but I'm just trying to stay calm and listen to my coach, Carla, if you're listening, I'm doing everything you're telling me. I think that's really incredible. I actually love that as the craziest thing that's happened to you as a CEO, because it speaks to the interesting nature of goals. Once you get it, you're kind of sitting at that space and you're like, okay, what now? I've felt that before. Joe's approach to work is not only about growth. Sure, he focuses on growth, but he also seems to focus a lot on idealism. I found that productized service business owners tend to flip the negative connotation behind a lifestyle business, at least the negative connotation that investors have. Instead, they focus on something scalable, yet still human. Yeah, I was, I've, when you, when I saw this question before, I was really, like, I don't have like a, really like a crazy, like, Elon Musk, like SpaceX was like 24 hours from insolvability or, or the insufficient funds. It couldn't be able to pay any of their employees. And then they raised like hundred million dollars, like in like eight hours and saved the company. And now it's like, is SpaceX. I don't, I don't have that story kind of by design. Like I was never like, we're a bootstrap company. Like we're revenue funded. I started this business with a few thousand bucks and we've kind of grown slow and steadily over the years and just recently started growing a little faster and doing a little bit more. But I think the, I kind of like that I don't have like a big crazy thing like that because I, I like productized services because I think it's one of the other things I feel like is that it's there, there can potentially be less stress in it too. If you're running a technical company, like there's a lot 
there's a lot higher level of difficulty and degree of having to execute things exactly right. But productized service, like it matched my skill set better because I'm like, whatever, 80% is fine, ship it. Like we can't quite do that anymore. But in the early days, it was like, we like we can do whatever we want to kind of, you know, there's no technical thing we can mess up. It's like Zapier just works, like cool, just like try that thing. And so I never had too many big stressful moments. Sure, there were stresses along the way. Being a CEO is great. I, I actually love it a lot, but it doesn't come without its stresses as well. Um, but honestly, like I've had a blast the last five years. Like I have, I, I, I think back and I don't have a lot of big stressful moments. Um, and that to me is actually like, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't need to have a roller coaster ride um, to enjoy myself. Uh, you know, people who know me know I'm pretty chill most of the time. And that, that's my strong suit, I think. So uh, I, I'll, I live it in a personal and business sense. So, yeah. I think there's actually so much value to what you're outlining right now. As you know, this podcast is intended as a rigorous single season examination of the ecosystem. And part of that examination is that a lot of people outside the ecosystem don't know what you're talking about right now because the traditional business world does not work towards, hey, we did it. It works towards continuing to grow. You know that I worked at a handful, two, two different incubators, and I met people at the incubators that didn't know what it meant to bootstrap a company because the mindset was always you have a business idea and the way to execute on that business is to get you into an incubator. I'm surprised, but I'm also not surprised because traditionally that's the way businesses have been built. But it's 2021 now. COVID has just happened. Everyone's working from home. Everyone has this thing called the internet. People are starting to realize that there are these communities out there like um, indie hackers. Um, there are even incubators and accelerators and fundraising for small companies like Tiny Seed or Earnest Capital. For some people, this is the time, like go to IndieHackers.com and realize how these incredible communities are coming up with people who you can, with a hundred bucks, test a little business idea out. I Again, I started WP Buffs with a few thousand dollars in the bank account. Did we uh, have rocket ship growth and 10 times month over month growth for two years. And then, and now I'm talking to you as a billionaire with um, a yacht. No, but to become a billionaire, to become a CEO of a fortune 500 company is not the goal of a lot of people. In fact, it's probably not the goal of 99.8% of people. Um, most people are like me and they want to run a small company that has a team of people who really enjoy working there, who do high impact work and love the team and love their work. And the company itself is profitable and grows slow and steady. And that's what they enjoy. It's not the where it's not the end point of it. It's the like this is life. This is this is the life I've decided I want to live. And I think the people on my team have decided that as well. So I think that there's enormous value in bootstrapping a business or starting a revenue funded business because you have, like there are a lot of stressors in life. There's a lot of 
craziness happening in politics, right? Always. There's a lot of craziness happening in the world, in the world news right now, like Israel-Palestine stuff are happening. It's all crazy. There's enough stuff in the world to be stressed about, but you know what I don't have to stress about? Someone telling me how to like run my business. And I get to do pretty much what I want to on the day-to-day. This, this bootstrap business idea is real and it's easier than ever. There's no code movement. So you don't even have to know code to start a software company. If I had known about that, I might've started a plugin company, right? But that wasn't out here seven years ago. And so now when I'm thinking about starting a new, uh, new company, because I always have little ideas about new things I want to start. I'm like, it's, would be so, it would be way easier now even than it was 10 years ago. And even easier and, and definitely also easier than it was five years ago when I started WP Buff. So it's about joining these communities though. So there's a lot of bootstrap businesses out there. Go that the first step is checking it out and you never know where you'll be, you know, two years, three years, five years from now. So I think that this last part is probably one of the most incredible ways to wrap up a discussion of the business models of open source, because it's not just the what and the how it's also the why that we need to illustrate for people looking to dig deeper into this ecosystem. You're not dealing with business people who just want to make money. You're dealing with people that have bigger ideas about what we want life to be. Thank you for listening. Learn how to support the Open Source Economist at opensourceeconomist.com. Even a monthly $5 contribution helps and gets you access to full, unedited interviews with our guests. This podcast was edited by Ali Nimmons. Thank you to Alice Young for creating our designs and to Chris Lemma for supporting our publishing costs. And of course, thank you to our individual contributors for helping us create this podcast. Have questions or feedback? Send them to email at christychirinos.com.